<laughs> Welcome. Uh, my name is Scott Kearney. I'm the lead pastor here at The Well. We've been doing this for a good two years now. We're almost at year two, which is really exciting. Uh, and uh, man, if this is your first time here, I want to welcome you. We've got cards on the seats that can help you get started in a conversation with us. Who are we? What do we do? Why do we meet in the gym? Uh, it's just a really great way for us to get to know you in that I'm new card. Uh, and then uh, if you fill that out, hand it back to the welcome table um, in the hallway as you leave, and uh, we'll give you a gift. It's just a, a great way for us to say, man, we're really glad you're here today. So, uh, hey, uh, I welcome you into our journey. We're uh, in a series right now called The Upside Down Kingdom. And uh, what we're doing is we're exploring the eight major core values of Jesus that helped launch his movement to literally change the world, to transform the whole world. And he had eight core values that would mark and lay the foundation of everything about what his movement was really about. So if you've ever had any experience with setting core values in an organization or being held accountable to core values, core values are really uh, like, uh, they're supposed to kind of keep you on a track. That when you make decisions, you don't make decisions in a vacuum. You make decisions that are based on and in line with the core values. Uh, we, we had to, to do this uh, when we launched this church. We, we had to think, man, what's going to set us, you know, on, on, the, on the right track? Because we don't want to just make a decision based on our whim or our desire or feeling in the moment. We want to be, you know, where is God taking us and how do we stick with that? One of our core values as a church is journey together. We believe that none of us are perfect. We're a collection of imperfect people here at this church. If, uh, if that is news to you about a church, like, welcome. That should be one of the best news you get today. We are very far from perfect. But um, that means that we're all on a journey. None of us are going to arrive this side of heaven. Like, we're just not going to get there. There is no there this side of heaven for us to arrive to. We're not going to be perfect until heaven someday. So we're all on a journey. We just believe that it's not good for you to do that alone. We want to journey with our city, and we want every one of us to journey together. So that's why we do groups. It's a strategy for us to get people into a relationship with each other, to get to know each other, and a journey in exploring church, exploring truth, exploring Jesus, and just doing it together. And we believe that we're all going to grow as we do that together. So that's, you know, what core values do. Jesus did this at the very beginning of Matthew. He set his eight core values that were to really mark everything about his movement. And the crazy thing about Jesus was he didn't just want to change the world at a circumstance level. He wanted to change the people that were part of his movement. And so every one of these values, that's what it does. It gets right into the mess of our life and actually starts disrupting us at a pretty significant level. Um, I, I, was, I was listening to an interview this past week. There's a pastor by the name of Erwin McManus, and he was talking about uh, what it means to be transformed on the inside. And he said he's learned to live his life uh, not planning, but prepared. He doesn't want to live his life planned. He wants to live his life prepared. What does that mean? Well, I mean, a lot of us, when we think about our life and what we want out of life, we plan it, right? I mean, we plan the school we want to go to. We plan the kind of marriage we want to have. We, we plan the kind of career and the kind of hobbies that we want to have. And we just plan all this stuff out in the future. The problem with that is that life happens, right? <laughs> Anybody ever had anything unexpected that just disrupted your plans? Yes. I mean, like, man, every one of us, we've had things that we just can't plan for, didn't see coming and our plans are really not all that useful in that moment. And so what he says is, man, it's better to actually live prepared than to live planned. This is what he said. So many of us spend time making plans for our lives, schools, careers, marriage, family, all that kind of stuff. But don't reserve time to cultivate our character. This is what Jesus is about, cultivating character. He said, what we don't tend to spend enough time on uh, is preparing our character for the journey. The plans you have will require making difficult choices along the way. 
And those choices are based on your character. Invest more time on your heart than you do on your plan. This is what Jesus is after, guys. With all of these eight core values known as the Beatitudes, this is what they are. They're they're meant to really disrupt everything on the inside of your life, to develop your character. But the wild thing about every one of them is they're hard. (laughs) Some people have said that the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, is probably the most famous of Jesus' teachings, but the least obeyed. Because they're so hard. Every one of them are so counterintuitive to the way that we naturally do life. And I think that's why uh, they're so great at, at shaping our character. So we've been, this is our fourth week in this. The previous three weeks, this is what we learned. And they're so counterintuitive, so countercultural. Uh, basically, Jesus is going to say happiness to, and he's going to lay out. Like, this is what it means to be happy. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are bankrupt spiritually before God. They've got nothing in the bank to offer God that's, that's of any value. And I don't know about you guys, but I like doing things that, that make me feel pretty good about myself, <laughs> you know? Like, I like to have enough in the bank to go back to and say, well, at least I did this. And God's like, blessed are those who actually have nothing in the bank, spiritually. And then he said, blessed are those who mourn. I don't know about you guys, but like, it's not my first thought in the day that like, I can't wait to go to a funeral. <laughs> but there's actually a moment in the Bible that says, it's better to go to a funeral than it is to go to a birth. Even though, like, when people go to, to a, like, you know, just after a baby's born, there's nobody in there that's, like, you know, all sad and somber. It's celebration, man. You bring the flowers and the balloons. It's happiness. But in a birth, when you go see a brand new baby, you're not contemplating the big questions of life, are you? You're just happy. But when you go to a funeral, you can't help but ask those questions of, like, man, what is life really all about? You know? What is on the other side of this? I don't know. So he said, you know, blessed are those who mourn. When you understand that life is broken and that it's not just outside the the external circumstances that are messed up, we actually contribute to that. That every time we choose self over others, there's, there's this mourning that we need to actually be, you know, I'm not right and my decisions aren't quite right. There's a blessedness to actually mourning some of the sin that we have on the inside. And then he went on to say, blessed are the meek. Last week we talked about meek as a real deep sense of humility. That it's not thinking less about yourself, it's actually just thinking about yourself less. And we're blessed when we think about ourselves less because then we have the opportunity to really raise other people up. So this is the track that we've been on. And it's really important to understand those previous three weeks because that's, it leads us to today. If you embrace every one of these previous three values, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are meek, it doesn't exactly leave you pumped up. <laughs> Look, uh, any football fans in, in, in the house today, you know that like the guys coming out of the tunnel are jazzed, right? You got the pyrotechnics, they're pumping themselves up, they're so jazzed. But when you embrace poverty of spirit, mourning, and meeking, you're not exactly filled in that moment, right? <laughs> I mean, there's an emptiness there. And every single time we hit an empty moment in life spiritually, we're longing to fill it. I mean, that's just true in, in, in anything. When you're empty, if your car's empty, what do you do? You go fill your tank. If you're hungry, what do you do? You go fill your stomach. Yeah, you, it's no different spiritually. And I feel like every one of us have hit moments in life where we've hit an empty moment spiritually. So what do you do in those moments? So here are the big questions that we're going to talk about today. It's going to lead us right into the next value here. It's going to talk about hunger. 
is going to talk about thirst. But the big question for us is, what are you hungry for? In those moments where your spirit hits those bankrupt moments where you feel kind of drained and you don't feel like you have a whole lot left to give, what are you hungry for? And then the things you seek to fill that hunger, do they satisfy? Do they really satisfy? And if not, where do you go? So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5, where we're going to be today. And this is where it goes, ready? Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed, right after blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know, what does righteousness mean? If you ever watched uh, uh, Guy Fieri and, uh, and his uh, diners, drivers, and dives, he's always talking about food being righteous. <laughs> we don't have a great context for what righteousness means. We're going to get into that. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, we just talked about this, but my guess is every single one of us came into the room today feeling a bit empty somewhere. Whether it's your marriage, whether it's your workplace, your relationship with your coworkers, your boss, you know, even relationships with friends or the unmet expectations with your friends, maybe some of the disasters that are happening around with your kids right now, I mean, whatever it is, there's a lot of us that can, I mean, there's something probably in every one of our lives where we came in a bit empty today. Bank account, I mean, you name it, whatever it is, there's probably somewhere we, we came in empty today. We are all hungry for, uh, for something spiritually. I, I ran across this article um, that was written about an interview done to, uh, to uh, Madonna. Madonna was interviewed, uh, this was years ago, and she articulated, I think, this spiritual hunger in a way that was really helpful. Not very often you hear a, a quote from Madonna in church, ready? All right. Uh, this is what she said. She said, I got an iron will, and all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. Can you catch that kind of spiritual emptiness? Look, this horrible feeling of inadequacy, there's an emptiness there. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being, and then I get to another stage and think that I'm mediocre and uninteresting. Anybody ever been there? You're like the life of the party one day, and the next morning you're like, man, I'm nothing. Again and again, my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. Man, that's that spiritual poverty there. And it's always pushing me because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended and it probably never will. I don't know what it is for you guys. For Madonna, she fills that emptiness with success and doing whatever it takes to be successful. But maybe for some of you, that empty feeling, you're like, well, maybe if I just had other people's approval then I'd feel that emptiness. And, and so you'll do whatever it takes to get other people's approval in your life. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll serve all day long with family, friends, coworkers, just to feel this sense that you're approved. Maybe for some of you, it's just comfort and entertainment. You know, you, you go to work, you put your time in, at the end of the day, you're so tired, you're just man, like, I just need something to relax and veg out to. You know, as long as I get enough comfort in my life, then maybe I can feel that emptiness. The crazy thing about this is that none of us will ever be able to escape this real sense of hunger if we look down deep enough. One commentator put it this way. I thought it was so fascinating. He said, the true wonder of human beings is not that we're sinners. We get that. We know we're not perfect, right? We get that. That's not the wonder. The wonder is that in, even in our sin, we're haunted by goodness. That we long for it. We long for things to be made right. We long for this sense of justice and order in the world. And that even in the mud, we can never wholly forget the stars. 
We long for things to be set right, even in the middle of all the brokenness in this world. We want goodness. We want to, to have that emptiness on the inside of us filled up. And another uh, pastor out in England actually put it this way. He, he said, basically, it's this spiritual hunger. It's this longing for something that actually ought to tell you that you're on the right track. <laughs> that it's spiritual hunger that characterizes people who are after good things. Uh, John Stott, he, he said, spiritual hunger is characteristic of all God's people whose supreme ambition is not material but spiritual. No greater secret of progress. And this is, this is a, like a really good moment for you to kind of assess a little bit of where you are spiritually. If you didn't come in here hungry at a spiritual level, maybe we need to rethink a few things. Because my guess is life is not perfect for you. Actually, Martin Lloyd joins. I, lo- I love this. He, sa- he put it this way. Uh, I don't know of a better test. Than anyone, uh, that anyone can apply to himself or herself in the whole matter of the Christian profession than a verse like this one. If this verse is to you one of the most blessed statements of the whole of Scripture, that you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you can be quite certain that you're a Christian. If it's not, then you had better examine the foundations again. Hear him right on this one. He's not saying that you need to be perfect. He's just saying the, the state of hunger and the thirst part of it. When you're hungry and thirsty, are you, I mean, completely filled? <laughs> like, no. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but like if you've ever uh, been at a restaurant and you, you had a big old dinner, you know, and, and uh, you're like, you're stuffed. And the waiter comes out, what, what does he usually say at that point? Got any room for dessert? You know, and at that point, like, you're like, someone get me a bucket, right? Uh, you know, like, it, 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 it can be kind of a dark moment right there because, you know, if you th- even think about getting a dessert, you're like, you're going to go dark pretty quickly. Uh, and it, this is the reality. So much of us in life, we can try to so quickly fill some of the void that we feel internally that we don't let ourselves get to the place where we actually feel spiritual hunger and thirst. But David put it this way. David was, was said to be a man after God's own heart. And in, in Psalm 42, he says, As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go meet with him? You, you get this sense of urgency, like, man, I, I got to see God. And in Psalm 63, he said, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. When was the last time you felt that way? Man, I I had to ask myself that question this week. When was the last time I I so longed for God that it it was like I'd been wandering in the desert for days without any food or any water? The reality is this, look, you can't eat anything if you're full. <laughs> you can't. Thanksgiving Day, if someone was to give you another Thanksgiving right after the Thanksgiving meal you just had, you'd want to throw up. And that, honestly, that is, we are, we are so driven in our culture right now at filling the empty spaces of our life. Uh, I, I, I was listening to someone the other day say that when he grew up uh, and he had to go to a bus stop uh, to kind of travel from one place to the next, he would sit uh, on the, the bench there and he would just sit there. And if nobody was there, he would just sit and contemplate. He would just think. Nowadays, if someone's at a bus stop, what are they doing? 
You know, like they, let me pull out my phone. I mean, it's in the grocery store. It's, it's in between work assignments. I mean, whatever it is, we are so good at filling that moment. We're so good at filling that, that we leave no space for us to ever think that we're ever hungry or thirsty. I think that's why Mother Teresa, when she looked at America and said that America has a really unique poverty. It's actually a poverty of loneliness. You see it. When you're in the checkout line, you could be surrounded by a lot of people. But if you're like this with your phone, you are isolated from everybody. Do you ever get to the place where you understand that there's a deep longing on the inside of your heart for God and let that drive you to him? Are you so quick to fill all of that? I'm telling you, this past week, it was actually a heavy week emotionally for me um, because uh, it, it just pastoral ministry brings you down some places that uh, you get a front row seat into some of the hardest things in people's life. Um, that's a privilege. That's a privilege I don't take lightly. And I mean, people invite you to, you know, the birth of their kid. They invite you to their wedding and to do their wedding. They invite you to a funeral, but they also invite you into the moments where they're really broken over stuff and, and like literally weeping over things. I got a bunch of that this past week. And at the end of that, I'm not going to lie, like, just emotionally, I was spent. And a couple of nights, you know what my go-to was? Hey, let's go get a pizza. Let's go shopping, you know? I just want a pair of pants and, like, a new pair of shoes. I want something. Anybody get retail therapy? That's real, isn't it? Isn't it? (laughs) I mean, the drive on the inside of us. I told you a couple weeks ago I had a materialism day. That's real, all right? Look, like, there's something on the inside of us that says, man, if I could just fill that with something, something in that moment, then maybe this ache on the inside of me, this drainness, this emptiness, maybe it'll go away. Football is one of those things for me, too. There are a lot of Sundays where I'll come back after preaching and I like, I, I, I spend a lot of emotional, spiritual, physical energy doing this. So I'll get home and I just like, boom, up on, you know, there goes football. Probably going to happen this afternoon, okay? <laughs> so, because my team's going to play. It's going to be awesome. Anyway, uh, it, we're just so quick to do it, guys. We're so quick to do it. We're so quick to do it. And my question is, are we leaving any room, any room for God to show us that we're actually hungry? actually thirsty. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Because only when you know that you're hungry and thirsty do you actually reach out to God. It's no wonder he lets us feel the weight of life sometimes. You know? Did you know God's jealous for you? Do you know that God actually wants to spend time with you? That he created you not to just kind of do your own thing in this world and, you know, like, like a, a distant parent that kind of, you know, births a kid and just like, you know, we'll see ya. Like, that's not God. God's intimately involved in your life and he wants to be intimately involved in your life. He wants to have conversations with you and to do life together. Like, that's the beauty of our relationship with God. He wants that. Have you let him in? Uh, I had a moment, um, you know, I have plenty of moments where I fill those gaps and I, I don't leave enough room for God. But uh, about a month ago, I felt like I had kind of hit coasting in my relationship with God. Felt like there wasn't a whole lot of vibrancy. And so I actually took a 24-hour retreat and just went away and, and practiced fasting. Uh, I don't know if you, any of you have ever practiced fasting before. Uh, the Bible says you're, you're never supposed to tell anybody about it because that's supposed to be this like secret thing of a God. I'm breaking that right now. So I'm getting no reward and it, it, this is all for you guys, okay? Um, anyway, um, I did this whole fasting thing and um, it's a wacky thing to go without food. 
We're not good at this in America, right? We love our food. Even when we're full, we like to eat food, you know? Like, we're just bad at that. But there's a beautiful thing about fasting. Because when you go without, and you start feeling those stomach gurgles, you know, and you're like, oh, man, I could really go for a chicken sandwich right now, you know? There's something in the inside where you say, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. God's actually better than this. And my need for God is actually better and deeper and stronger and more joyful than any food that I could give myself right now. This has been the offer in Scripture from the very beginning. God offering us something that's going to satisfy us in ways that nothing else will. In, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible, uh, the prophet Isaiah challenges people. Uh, it's really God's, he's speaking for God when he, when he offers these challenges. And he says, man, come. All who are thirsty, this is Isaiah 55, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why spend your money on what's not bread? Why spend your labor on what doesn't satisfy? <laughs> he gets it. God gets it. We're so good at trying to find things to fill the gap in our life that just won't satisfy. I mean, anybody, like, you, you, I, I saw this on Facebook just the other day, and I feel like it's an epidemic right now. Like, you finished a TV show, you ever finish a TV show and just feel like something got ripped out of your life? You know, you know what I mean? And like, I saw someone on Facebook the other day that just said, oh, I need a new show. You know, ever, anybody ever been there? Look, you finished The Office, and you're just like, you lost a loved one. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> anyway, look, we can get to these places where we're like, I just need another show. And it's almost like this, you know, this cry of an addict coming out there. Because you got to fill it somehow. God's been offering from the very beginning, why would you spend your money on what's not satisfying? He says, listen, listen to me and eat what is good. And your soul will be satisfied. It will delight in the richest of food. Give ear, come to me, that your soul will live. Have you been driven to that place where you know the ache on the inside and the only place you can go is God? Or have we been too good at American life that we've consumed it entirely and our need for God is just not even apparent to us at all? Jesus said this in John chapter 4. He looked at the, 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 the woman at the well, Samaritan woman, and, and she came out to draw water. This was, this was a, a woman who had a lot against her in life, okay? There were a lot of things that were, that were messed up in her life. She knew it, whereas a lot of people don't know it, uh, but she knew it. She came to the water in the middle of the day uh, when nobody would, would go because she, she was a social outcast. She had a relational history that was a mess, uh, and she came into the middle of the day, and Jesus asked her for a drink of water. And she said, like, why would you ask me for a drink of water? And Jesus said, no, no, you don't understand. If you knew who was asking you for a drink of water, you'd ask him. And he would give you living water. He said, the reality is everyone who comes to this well here, this physical well, and draws water from it, you're going to have to be thirsty again. Anybody go, who goes and watches football this afternoon, you're not going to be able to ever watch enough football to satisfy your soul. You're never going to be able to purchase enough clothing to be able to satisfy your craving on the inside. Like, you're never going to be able to, to get enough approval from human beings in order to satisfy the emptiness on the inside. Jesus said, but whoever comes to me, inside of him will come living water, springs of living water that will well up to eternal life. It makes sense, guys. God made us. <laughs> why wouldn't we go back to our creator to find everything that we need 
And so it's okay to feel that emptiness and that, that void on the inside. My challenge to you guys is when you hit that moment this week, put your phone away. <laughs> Let it like sit in that for a second. Let it drive you to your God. And you might find more joy. And I'm telling you, in, in my 24-hour retreat with, with fasting, it took me a while. <laughs> because like it was probably a couple hours in that I was still like, I want to go to my phone, I want to go to my food, I want to I fill it somehow, you know. And then like after a little while of just sitting in it for a couple of hours, then it was like, okay, <sighs> okay, God. And I'm telling you, just the closeness that I had with God after about 12 hours, so beautiful. I walked home more peaceful, more hopeful than, than I did when I left. None of my circumstances changed. None of them. Any stuff that I was struggling with in my family or my job, like, none of that changed. But everything changed. Because I spent time with my God. All right. This is what it means to be filled with God. And to allow that spiritual emptiness on the inside to drive us to a place of God. Uh, now, but here's the, here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. How do we know that we're actually hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Now, we have to understand what is righteousness? What is righteousness? Because, I mean, I, th I think a lot of us, when we think of righteousness, you know, again, not a word that we use very often, but we think of, man, just be good. Just be good. You know, there's a list of do's and there's a list of don'ts. And as long as you hit the, the list of do's and, and you avoid the list of don'ts, then you're going to be righteous, right? Do you know what the, the word righteous actually means in the Greek? You can actually substitute that for justice. At a, at, a, at a real deep definition level, the word righteous actually means to be in a right relationship with. To be in a right relationship with someone else. And when Jesus wants us to be righteous, he wants us to begin by being righteous with God, to have a right relationship with God. And then the test of that right relationship with God is actually, what do you think of other people? Jesus said all of the law and the prophets, everything in the Old Testament hangs on two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. And the crazy thing about that is it's a cyclical relationship. Your relationship with God will impact the re your relationship with others. And your relationship with others will actually impact God. And the reason that God actually wants us to, to get some things out of our life that are unhealthy is not because you're just going to get contaminated by it. It's because it actually presents a barrier between you and God and a barrier between you and other people. That's why. You know, in, uh, in, in Romans chapter 6, um, Paul said this, you know, and a lot, of, a lot of people, they just think Christianity is all about, like, man, you just got to get rid of certain things. You know, we celebrate people who are like, I was once a drug addict, and now I'm free, you know, because of Jesus. And, you know, praise God. That's amazing. Or I was once someone who swore all the time, and now I'm, I don't swear at all. And we're like, yeah, that's awesome. But we think so much about the negative, like what we get rid of, that we don't think about what are we headed towards? What are we gaining? That's what right, right relationship is all about. Paul in, in chapter 6 says, he says, what shall we say then in relationship to what Jesus had done for us? Shall we keep on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means, you know, cut out sin from your life. We are, we are this who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin but we take that so much of the time to think, man, we, like, the essence of Christianity is just stop doing fill in the blank. And Paul's saying, no, 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 you get rid of some of this stuff in your life so you can actually be participants with God in recreating this world. When I married Charity, 
It was not this sense of like, man, I'm just going to stop doing things. You know, like there's some things that I can't do anymore. <laughs> Husbands, you with me? <laughs> all right. Look, I can't, and I, I bring up football a lot. Football's a big deal in my life, all right? I, like, uh, I can't, I realized early on in my marriage that I couldn't just watch three and a half hours of football every Sunday afternoon anymore. Because there were going to be some pretty severe consequences if I did that. Yes? All right. Uh, big time with kids. You get kids in, in, in your picture, and like, that's definitely the way. Like, you cannot, you can't live as a bachelor if you get married. You can't do it. And I feel like a lot of the time, we as Christians, we treat God that way. What's the bottom line that I need to do in order to get right with God so that I can keep living on? If I just need to pray a prayer so I'm good with God, great. You know, and just keep, I keep living life. That's not what it is, guys. Our life with Jesus is about pursuing great things with him and a, a, a real relationship with him. Not just doing the bare minimum, because if I just did the bare minimum, if I just relied on a marriage certificate to be the essence of my marriage with charity, guess how long that's going to last? That's a recipe for divorce. God actually wants a living and active relationship with you. He wants you to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to have this beautiful living relationship with him where we're not just getting things out of our life. I mean, I had to forsake all, all other women to say yes to charity. Was that a bad thing? It was an awesome thing because she's worth it. She is so amazing in my life. I don't know where I would be without my incredible wife. And I would gladly forsake all of them and everything else a hundred times over to have her in my life. Do we treat God that way? Or we do we treat it just like, man, I just, this is duty. I got to stop doing this stuff because, you know, I got to be approved before God. No, 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 no. You stop doing that stuff you can, so you can get more of God and have a relationship that sings with God. That's what it's about. And the final test of this, too, is not just this private sense of morality. And I'm telling you, we can actually do more damage if we think of Christianity as the summation of just a private sense of morality. We can do more damage to other people if, if that's what it's all summed up as. Anybody ever been around someone who just, like, prided themselves in being perfect, you know? Or in holding crazy expectations over other people because rules matter more than people? Oh, my gosh, that's suffocating, isn't it? No, like, you don't want to be around anybody or like that. Like we run from that. The essence of Christianity is actually not this private sense of morality, but a deep relationship with God and with other people. And that's the last aspect of righteousness here. There's three aspects of righteousness. There's this legal standing with us and God. There's this moral standing of getting rid of some of the stuff in our life that holds us back from a real living, active relationship with God. And then there is the social aspect of righteousness, social justice, where we ought to care about the broken aspects of this world because God cares about them. This is what social justice is really all about. Um, Jesus challenges us that if we think that we're in God, if we have a real relationship with God, this is what First uh, John chapter 2 says, this is how we know that we're in him. This is how we know that we have a real relationship with God. Whoever claims to live in him in a relationship must live as Jesus did. And anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. Did you know that the way that you treat other people actually has direct impact on how you relate to God? It cannot just be you and Jesus. It has to manifest itself into a relationship with other people around you. Uh, John Newton, who was a slave uh, 
he was a slave owner, and he, 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 he uh, operated ships that would transport slaves from one, you know, from one part of the world to another. Had a radical transformation in his relationship with Jesus, and everything changed. And he was looking at uh, some of the parts of Scripture that talk about Jesus' care for the poor, and uh, particularly Luke chapter 14, where Jesus said, hey, if you're going to throw a party, throw a party for those who can't give back to you. Because then you're going to have reward. Don't throw it to the people who are just going to con- continue to give back to you. Don't just throw it for all your friends. Throw it for the people who can't give back to you. And he says, one would think that that is actually not even considered a part of God's word. Nor has any part of Jesus' teaching been more neglected by his own people. He says, I don't think it's unlawful to entertain our friends. But if these words do not teach us that in some respects our duty to give preference to the poor. He goes, I'm at a loss to understand them. How often does the poor and the condition of Nashua and the world around you consume your thoughts? When was the last time you thought about people who are overdosing right now? When was the last time you thought about some of the neighbors who are mourning? No joke, just this morning, Charity and I were looking on Facebook at some friends of ours across the street, and we had no idea. One of them just lost his dad. His dad's 50-something. He's a 21-year-old kid. And I'm telling you, as, as Christians, it is so easy to be consumed with our private sense of relationship with God and morality that we miss. We miss what God is doing. And we miss the needs around us of people who are really hurting and really desperately in need of God. Now, if you're like me, when you think about the scope of all the brokenness in this world, sometimes it can be overwhelming, right? And it can almost lead us to places where we have no idea what to do. I had a conversation with a dude at, at Starbucks uh, this past week. Uh, And I love this guy. Gary and I have actually become good friends over the past year and a half. Gary talks about anything and everything. I love this guy. Uh, But he's so concerned about some of the things that are happening in this world, um, about how we're treating animals and how, you know, we're deforesting places in Brazil. And, uh, I mean, he, he thinks, like, I mean, just this massive scope about the world issues. And it really bothers him to the point where, like, he, he walks home depressed because he thinks about all this stuff. And like a lot of him is like, man, where do I even begin? I told him this story one time um, where uh, there, was, there was this mom and a daughter that went out to a beach. They hit the beach, and there was just thousands of starfish scattered all over the beach. Thousands of them dying. All these starfish just, I mean, sad, dying. And the, mom, like, the daughter's like, mommy, why are they all on the beach? And the mom's like, they got washed up, they're all going to die. And the daughter's like, wow, that's so sad. And they just kind of sat in it for a second. And then after a few seconds, the little girl walks down, picks up a starfish, throws it back into the ocean. And her mommy's like, oh, sweetie, that's, that's really sweet, but it's really not going to make a difference. And her daughter looked up at her, picked up another starfish, threw it back in and said, made a difference for that one. Do the, do the issues in the world sometimes so overwhelm you that you do nothing? Uh, Martin Luther put it this way. He said, the command to you is to not crawl into a corner or into the desert, but to run out. If that's where you have been, and to offer your hands and your feet and your whole body to wager everything you have and can do. That's required. What is required is a hunger and a thirst for righteousness that can never be curbed or stopped or sated. One that looks for nothing and cares for nothing except the accomplishment and the maintenance of the right, despising everything that hinders this end. And if you cannot make the world completely pious... Just do what you can. I'm telling you right now, God has given us a myriad of opportunities right here, right now, in this place in Nashua to make a difference. 
And I had to hit my knees this week in preparation for this message and asking God, are we doing enough as a church? What can we do to help some of what's happening? October 2nd, we're going to do something. We're actually going to host a, a free haircut and a manicure night for single moms in our neighborhood. We're going to offer free services. We're going to offer uh, to watch kids uh, and to take care of them. And we're going to give them a night to themselves where very few of them have any disposable income and very few ever have a moment to think about themselves. But we're going to have a night right here in Girls Inc. where we're going to provide haircuts and manicures. And I had to think to myself, man, is that it? Like, is that all we can give them? Isn't there more that we can do? And so I don't have the answer to that, guys. But I'm inviting you to join me in that journey of asking God, God, what can we do? You know, yes, I'm overwhelmed by the fact that, I mean, hundreds of people are going to OD right here in Nashua this year. I'm overwhelmed by that. I'm overwhelmed by the broken families right now that are, that are dealing with, uh, you know, husbands or wives that have left or kids that are growing up without a dad or a mom. I'm, I'm overwhelmed by that. I'm overwhelmed by the poverty and the, the people that are, that are stuck in debt, you know, in these cycles where it's just so, so hard to get out of. I'm, I'm broken about that. But I'm asking God, God, what would you have us do as a church? What can we do? What little things can we do? And so this afternoon, I mean, Charity and I, we're going to make some, some dinner and a card. And we're going to go give it to this 21-year-old kid who just lost his dad this past week. That's something. I can't bring his dad back. But we can do something. Now, guys, the only foundation for any, doing any of this and hungering and thirsting for righteousness in the first place is not so that we can be approved before God, but coming out of the sense that we're already approved. Do you know who else hungered and thirsted? Jesus did. For 40 days, he had no food to prepare himself for the journey ahead so that he would give his life for you and me. When he was up on the cross, do you know what he said? I thirst. I thirst. He went without so that his love for us would be poured out. Jesus gave his life for us so that we could be reunited in a right relationship with God forever. Knowing that we had nothing to offer God, Jesus offered everything he had so that we could be reunited with God. He hungered and thirsted for righteousness, not for his sake, but for our sake, so that everything could be made right in our life. And only on that foundation do we have the motivation and the courage and the wherewithal to be able to do something different in this world. And to love God for who he is. And to love people for who they are. And until you get that, it's not going to make a whole lot of sense. But as we embrace the countercultural values of Jesus and hungering and thirsting for righteousness, this world will be different. And you and I will be different too. Let's pray. Jesus, my prayer today is that every one of us would feel hunger and thirst this week. And that we wouldn't just immediately fill it with something else. But that we'd sit long enough in that hunger to remember what you did for us. That we'd sit long enough in it to remember that you lost everything to have us back. And if your love is that generous, then let us not be so given to, to satisfy ourselves with things that ultimately won't. Let us come back to our Heavenly Father who loves us more than we can ever imagine. 
That's my prayer. And let it drive us, God, to make a difference in this world too. In Jesus' name, amen.